welcome to Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Ashkan Kassarian. On today's show, we're going to talk about the FBI, encryption, and going dark. FBI has been a critic of the spread of encryption that we use now on our phones, everyday devices. They often cite the 8,000 devices that are connected to crimes that they can't get access to only in 2017 as an example of why encryption is bad for law enforcement. Well, a recent Washington Post article revealed that that number is awfully inflated. The real number of devices that they can't get access to? 1,200. FBI says this is just a programming error. Some civil liberties advocates think that was a weird mistake that they used a lot in their policy lobbying. We're joined by Robin Green, Policy Counsel and Government Affairs Lead for the Open Technology Institute at the New America Foundation. She's an expert who has written on this issue, and we are really happy to have her here. Robin, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. So let's start from the beginning. What's the background on this encryption debate? We all remember San Bernardino case, but then it kind of died down because, as I remember, FBI was able to hire an Israeli firm to break into the phone? Yeah. So the encryption debate uh, actually started back in the 1990s, right? So people started using personal computers, the internet started to happen, and the intelligence community started really freaking out about going dark, about not being able to wiretap people's communications because of encryption. So we spent years having a debate about whether the government should be able to have encryption backdoors. And ultimately, our uh, security experts were able to really effectively engage in that debate and prove to Congress and to the public that there was no way to have a secure backdoor. There was no way to guarantee access to encrypted communications for the government without also potentially letting in hackers and foreign nations, uh, nation state actors and people like that, that you don't want having access to these communications. Um, so that debate quieted down for a little over a decade. Fast forward to Ed Snowden, who reveals all of this mass surveillance and tremendous uh, overstep by the intelligence community. Um, and then there's public outcry. And so the device manufacturers like Apple wound up responding to a lot of this outcry um, and to increased threat of people actually just stealing your new iPhone um, by offering something called full disk encryption by default. So basically locking everyone's iPhone with a passcode by default um, instead of making the user actually go into the settings and set it up themselves. So this means that a lot more people have encrypted devices that the government wasn't able to access. In response to that, the Department of Justice and the FBI started complaining that, again, they are going dark. Um, there's an expansion of end-to-end encryption, which is where your communications that are in transit are encrypted, like your emails and phone calls, but then also any of the data that you're storing on your phone or your other devices that are protected by encryption are now less accessible to the government. So that's sort of what the going dark debate is. It's this idea that uh, the government can't access this information because your devices and your communications are all protected by encryption. Um, the Apple VFBI case was where the FBI actually had one of these devices. The San Bernardino shooter had a password, password protected device that the FBI claimed it couldn't get into. Um, and so they sued the, uh, the company. They sued Apple saying, 
well, we need you to write a new operating system that's going to bypass the, this uh, passcode lock. And they and, used to call it the backdoor. Right. And so Tim Cook basically responds to this saying, well, that's a backdoor. It's incredibly unsafe. It's terrible for privacy and human rights. Uh, and so we're just not going to do it. So they litigated um, until the FBI actually withdrew its case because lo and behold, uh, they found a trusted vendor who was able to hack into the device without forcing Apple to build a backdoor. So just a month ago, we actually got the results of an an inspector general report um, that the Department of Justice inspector general did about the FBI's conduct. Why was the FBI saying that they had to have Apple build this backdoor when in the end? Before we go into that, why did why did inspector general look into this at all? The reason the DOJ inspector general conducted this investigation was because there were real questions raised about why FBI Director Comey and his executive assistant director, Amy Hess, testified before Congress that they had to litigate with Apple to force them to build this backdoor um, because they absolutely couldn't get into the phone otherwise. Um, and then, of course, it turns out that they were able to get into the phone because they hired a, a, a vendor to hack into the phone. So. That inspector general concluded in his report that the FBI didn't engage in any wrongdoing, but he did determine that the FBI was sort of purposefully flat footed in its efforts to open this phone. Um, And so what what we found out was that you've basically got these two technical entities within the FBI, one that's investigating this particular case and another one that's just trying to find some more general solutions to the encryption problem. Um, And when the chief of the department that was actually uh, a part of the San Bernardino shooter investigation found out that the other department had sought out solutions from outside vendors, he got angry. Um, He asked why they would go ahead and do that because he was upset that this would undermine or slow down their litigation strategy. What we learned basically was that the FBI didn't want to find a technical solution to this problem. Uh, They wanted to have the ability to push companies to build backdoors Uh, through the courts if Congress wasn't going to do it for them. So, yeah, they were just focused on getting that legal win because they thought long term strategy that would be better and easier for them. Right. And when that opportunity was taken away from them because one of the uh, departments did the right thing and talked to the outside vendors and tried to figure out if they had a technical solution, um, it turned out the answer was yes. And so they had to stop the litigation. So basically... They solved the problem back then. They opened up the phone. Fast forward to 2018, uh, we find out that the seven, no, 8,000 phones, almost 8,000 phones that uh, law enforcement claimed they can have access to, but they're a crucial part of investigations, ongoing investigations, are actually a very inflated number. That's a very inflated number. Am I am I getting this right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So the FBI in an effort to convince policymakers that they need an encryption backdoor have been touting this number, 7,775 devices that the FBI couldn't unlock in 2017. Um, and so oh, just within a year, yeah. 700 7,775 devices within the year that were crucial. That's well, 
Nobody's ever actually answered the question about whether these devices were important to investigations. They're related to investigations. The FBI had some kind of interest in unlocking them and accessing the contents that were stored on them. Um, But it's really unclear whether these were related to really high priority investigations or just sort of run in run of the mill investigations. It's also totally unclear as to whether the devices that they were referring to um, were sort of the make or break part of any investigation um, was not being able to unlock a device, something that stopped an investigation in its tracks. Or were they able to, you know, just sort of work around that obstacle and continue to a successful prosecution or exoneration? And not only that, but Washington Post story also said that there was there were basically different databases. So they counted the same devices over and over again. Right. So, right. So, yeah. So in addition to not really being clear about what this number, the 7,775 was referring to, the FBI was just totally wrong about the number. Um, in what I consider to be a bit of irony, um, there was a programming error, right? So the FBI keeps saying, oh, well, it should be, you know, so easy for these Silicon Valley experts to build an encryption backdoor and make it secure. Yet the FBI can't even write a query in code that will do basic math without pulling from these different databases and counting the same devices multiple times over and even counting um, instances where they couldn't access the contents of data that had been communicated through an app, right? So like if your WhatsApp is password protected um, and the FBI couldn't get into that, they actually calculated that into the number of devices that they couldn't unlock, even though that's not a relevant um, factor for that particular statistic. So let's say they they can access the device, they can unlock the phone, but one app on the phone is encrypted end to end and password protected, hence they can get into that and they count that as a locked device. Okay, that's that's just bizarre now. Yeah. All right. So um, now that the number is estimated number is around actually 1200 and they're conducting an audit to make sure that's the right number. um, Do you think this changes the debate at all? Do you think it changes the way policymakers look at the encryption battle? It absolutely should. I mean, I think one of the things that we've seen from this most recent news is the FBI has a really weak argument about how much of a struggle, quote, going dark is. Um, You know, what we know right now is that the numbers that they were offering as proof of how severe this problem was had been inflated by over 550 percent. Um, But in addition to that, there's been actually a lot of news that really undermines the FBI's arguments. It's not just the inspector general report that we were talking about earlier. Uh, There have been reports in Forbes and in uh, Motherboard about companies offering hacking tools um, and devices for as little as $30,000 that will enable you to unlock as many iPhones as you want. Um, And so it really raises the question of how bad is this problem really if, you know, a state or local law enforcement agency or the FBI, which has a ton of money, um, can just shell out $30,000 and unlock as many phones as it wants. Um, so I, I hope that policymakers are starting to ask these questions. Senator Wyden has sent a strongly worded letter to the FBI um, raising some of these questions himself. Before that, uh, you had members, uh, Republicans and Democrats from the House Judiciary and Energy and Commerce Committees uh, write to the FBI in response to the news stories from Forbes and Motherboard about these companies um, asking, why is it that if it's so easy to get into these phones, you 
have almost 8,000 phones you can't get into. Of course, now we know that's only 1,200 phones or, you know, thereabouts. Um, but it's still, there's a real question about why aren't you able to get into these phones and, is it really that important that you get into these phones, considering that if you get what you want, if the FBI gets an encryption backdoor, it means that everybody, everybody using devices in America will be less secure at a time where cybersecurity threats have never been more pronounced at a time where privacy is has never been more under more attack. And at a time where the U.S., uh, tech economy is booming, but only because our companies are trusted and getting a backdoor mandated by the U.S. government is a surefire way to erode that trust. To wrap this up, let's talk through some scenarios, possible scenarios of what this Washington Post story um, can lead to. Um, Maybe some hearings, right? Uh, More talk about the encryption debate and um, the policies behind it. Um, Do you think there's some legislation possible to pass, not just to be introduced? um, Or do you think it will be status quo for a while or at least until the new Congress? So I absolutely hope that members of Congress will start seriously inquiring as to what happened here. Um, Hearings would be great. I think the FBI needs to answer for this really massive error. Um, In addition to that, OTI and other organizations have called for the Department of Justice Inspector General to initiate another investigation into how this happened, um, but also into the fact that after the Department of Justice and FBI found out about the error, uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions and other DOJ officials actually continued using the bad statistics. They kept using that flawed number, um, despite the fact that they knew or should have known that it was inaccurate um, in public remarks and in conversations with journalists. So we would also like the inspector general to look into, was there any uh, wrongdoing there? Um, was the Department of Justice and the FBI knowingly using false information um, to make their case? Um, And so I think those would be two very important things. Um, And then in addition to that, I think the public should continue pushing back against these efforts. Um, I'm not sure a bill is going to pass this Congress, but that's more because it's an election season and not much happens (laughs) that doesn't have to happen. And so that's basically government funding and recess. (laughs) Um, But I, I do think it's something that members of Congress should consider. There's the Secure Data Act, which would protect encryption, um, make sure that the federal government couldn't mandate backdoors. And so OTI supports that. Is this in the House or in the Senate? uh, This is in the House. Introduced by, do you remember? Uh, Yes, uh, that's introduced by Representatives Lofgren, um, Lou, uh, Massey. um, I think there's actually like six uh, Republicans and and Democrats who have sponsored it. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is an issue where you have a ton of bipartisanship um, and really, especially in the House, a ton of members who understand the need for strong encryption and who get how dangerous backdoors are. Um, And so I'm really hopeful about where this debate will go. But I do hope that members really start to take seriously um, the fact that the FBI has to date been unable to really make a case as to why they need encryption backdoors um, and the case that they have made has been based on flawed facts. It is also crucial for just general public to be more aware of this debate and what's happening and of their privacy. Mm-hmm. Because I remember when San Bernardino incident happened and then the Apple versus FBI was playing out in the news. 
I was still in law school and, you know, people on the street who I would interact with on daily basis, like my barista or my Uber driver, when they would hear I'm, you know, in law school, they would ask me about this case. They were actually interested. So hopefully, you know, public has a very short attention span, but they might be able to spend some if they spend any time on this. Maybe that will make legislation more possible. So to wrap the show up, um, since we have you here and I've worked with you over a course of years on a great surveillance reform that never took off. Um, <laughs> how did you end up for our women in tech segment? Please tell us, how did you end up doing tech policy and how did you end up at OTI? Whereas, you know, you could have been doing anything. So I graduated law school um, in what they call the lost class, uh, where the economy had just crashed um, in 2008. Um, but luckily, I had no intention of being a real lawyer. I always wanted to get into policy. And so I decided to learn a little bit about organizing before I went um, back to Washington and, and figure out sort of how to work Capitol Hill. Um, and so I did a bunch of grassroots organizing um, on a lot of different issues, but a lot for the ACLU and Amnesty International on privacy, civil liberties and human rights issues. Um, and then after that, I actually wound up working directly for the ACLU at their Washington legislative office, um, where I sort of went through the Patriot Act reauthorization debate and the uh, FISA Amendments Act reauthorization debate in 2011 and 2012. Um, and then I was there in 2013 when the Snowden leaks happened. Um, and that was sort of the point at which I knew, you know, there's no going back. A there's whole no new world is, has opened up. Yeah, you know, like I was the tinfoil <laughs> hat person for a really long time. And I just got to sort of take that tinfoil hat off and put it aside and just dig into the really serious work and have people actually listen. Um, you know, after 9-11, we went through in our country over a decade where people really dismissed concerns about surveillance and about civil rights and civil liberties abuses um, so long as those abuses were justified by national security arguments. Um, and I think Snowden showed everybody that we need to be a lot more careful about what authorities we we give the government. Um, and so that was sort of the point where this whole space just exploded. Um, everybody wanted to be working in it. And I had the good fortune of having been doing this work for several years already. Um, and so OTI uh, started to get into this space as well. And I decided to just sort of pick up my portfolio and move over there. Um, and it's been a, a lot of fun. I mean, it's uh, one of the most fast paced environments um, and issue areas that you could find. Um, so it's always exciting and I'm always learning something new and finding new challenges. Um, so I would encourage everyone to get into the tech space. <laughs> well, we're going to link to all the great work you guys have been doing and you've been doing in our show notes. And um, we know that you're going to come back. You have to come back. There are so many things happening in 2018, even though nothing is happening. But a lot of things are happening. And sure, I'm way busier than I expected to be in an election year. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, I was so excited for this summer to get some, you know, long, long form writing done. It's yeah. it's all just reacting and like putting out, out fires as, as always. Um, but there's a lot of, on cybersecurity and surveillance and encryption and all the free speech online that you and I both work on. So hopefully you'll be back soon. And thank you so much for joining us and um, enlightening our listeners. I hope they learned a lot and they can reach you. We're going to link to your Twitter too and ask questions directly. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me.
You can follow Tech Freedom um, on Twitter and Facebook at Tech Freedom. Please leave us a review so others can find the show and tell us how am I doing with my accent? Can you still not understand me or is it getting better? Thank you for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.